Shift is brought to you by Urban Science. See how we've been guiding business through science for 43 years at urbanscience.com slash autonews. Hi, I'm Sharon Carty, mobility editor at Automotive News. I'm Pete Bigelow, reporter at the Automotive News. Welcome to the first edition of Shift, the mobility podcast. Today, we'll be taking a look at South by Southwest, where Pete and I both were last week. We'll be talking a little bit about Navigan's leaderboard, which spells out who's winning in the self-driving car race. Uh, We'll also talk about uh, some of the latest news in the self-driving vehicle industry, including the DOT taking action on GM's request to build a car with no steering wheel or pedals. And we'll also uh, recap the AAA study that came out earlier this week, which takes the the latest look at consumer attitudes towards self-driving cars. And then we talked to Jim Adler, who is the founding director of Toyota's AI Ventures. So Pete, we were both down in Austin, Texas this week. Um, I don't know about you, but I am always tempted to get tattoos and uh, eat tacos while I'm in Austin. How about you? You know, I, I can agree with the latter of those two things, but I had no <laughs> such temptation to get a tattoo. Uh, barbecue looks, and tacos. All right. Well, everybody looks so cool. They've got really great tattoos down in Austin. It, it is a great town, and uh, South by Southwest, always a good time. And now it's growing more into a also a, a conference that is important in the uh, mobility sphere. Yeah, I really like it. Uh, it's my favorite conference to go to. Primarily because it's not so much about product, but it's about big thoughts and what's happening in the future and all the cool things that people are working on. And you don't have to really talk about like what's coming, you know, in the next six months. You're talking about, you know, what's coming in the next 10 years. Yeah, I thought that there were really a lot of good, thoughtful conversations. And probably that that started with the fact that the Department of Transportation had a, a big presence down there this year. And I thought that was kind of an intriguing development to see DOT embrace South by as a place where they're going to uh, make a few announcements and talk about some of the work they're doing on automated vehicles. Well, they were supposed to be at CES, but because of the government shutdown, they couldn't come. I wonder if they had moved all of their stuff over to, to South by or if that was initially planned. Not that it really matters, but it's, no, it's that's a good question. Yeah. So you sat in and uh, uh, in the DOT speeches. What did you hear? Uh, I thought that Secretary Chow made an announcement on uh, a new council within DOT that is going to really work cross-modal rather than uh, within the siloed structure that the department has traditionally had for 50 years now, uh, really work to help companies come to them and figure out the regulatory maze. No, that's interesting. That's interesting. She talked at all about um, sort of bringing NHTSA up to snuff so that they actually can deal with some of these technical problems that are coming in the future? She didn't necessarily specify NHTSA, but I, I thought that this council set a tone for the whole department, including NHTSA, that they are to speed innovation and not impede it. That was the the overarching mes- message was was just that. And I think Today in the news, we see some some action on that from NHTSA in relation to this General Motors petition that's been sitting on a table somewhere for a year and a half now. Yeah, tell uh, me, tell us about that. What what was the petition, and what, what do they want to do? So in January of eighteen, GM filed a petition with NHTSA to uh, get an exemption from existing motor vehicle safety standards to remove the steering wheel and brake pedal from vehicles, setting the stage for a 
an era where autonomous vehicles don't need those controls. And uh, we've been waiting for an answer, essentially, from the federal government for uh, the better part of a year and three months now. And so we had Secretary Chow uh, make the announcement about this council on Tuesday, not directly related, but here we are on Friday and we see kind of movement at a ground level on something that probably fits within that broader construct. Yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready yet for no steering wheel, no brakes. Um, but it's definitely interesting. It's, I mean, it, the whole thing is really interesting because they're taking a very pro-industry stance, right? This is what the industry wants. They want they want to be able to move fast and not be bogged down by regulations. Um, have we heard any response from from kind of the consumer protection folks yet? I know that they're, in general, kind of waving the flag saying, hey, let's not move so fast. Yeah, I think that that's been their overall stance since GM filed this petition or request last January. And I, I'm pretty sure that in the next week or two, we will hear from them again as this uh, as the DOT um, publishes a request for comment on the petition. Right, right. Cool. So let me jump back to South by Southwest real quick. Yeah. Uh, I know you uh, spent some time with Byton on the trip. What did you What did you learn about what they're up to? Well, they're bringing their SUV um, in the later this year. So it'll be their all-electric SUV that is about, uh, got, I guess, about 300-mile range. Um, it's going to go for about $45,000. They didn't talk so much about the product, though. They are more talking about their approach to, like, looking at the future. And so they acknowledge that looking at the future is a really complex thing. So they tried to bucket it into, like, this is what the electrification future looks like. This is what it looks like with personalization. Um, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how they do and what they come up with. They're trying to kind of reverse engineer, not reverse engineer, that's not the term. They want to they want to design with the user experience in mind first. And, um, you know, they're not looking to make cars that go 180 miles an hour, right? They're kind of acknowledging like that supercars are supercars and they're gonna be kind of come this like hobby thing. Most people just wanna commute to work um, and they wanna do so safely. And if you're not engineering for like the the fastest and hard, then you can engineer for, you know, how do you actually use a car if you don't have to drive it? Or how do you actually use a car if you're sharing it? Um, all, all that sorts of stuff. So it's something that a lot of people are talking about and sort of coming up in concepts, but I think they're actually going to be doing it in products that people will be able to buy. So correct me if I'm wrong, they're really examining how to create a profile for a vehicle user right. that can potentially follow uh, that driver or um, you know occupant in a ride-hailing vehicle. from, And so that profile follows me from car to car uh, and all my preferences and music and seating position and all that will follow with me. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and so the, and also if you and I end up, we both have profiles and we end up in the same shared Byton, it'll like know our preferences together and might like suggest a restaurant that we both might like or take phones from our iPhones that or take songs from our iPhones that we both might like. Um, yeah, I, I find that a little creepy, a little creepy, but. You know, it's new. It's different. I think that some people have a less, a lower standard for what's creepy and, and what they find interesting. Um, I don't know that I want my car to know my favorite foods. Some people do. 
maybe. I, I would think that maybe we don't have to wait just for Byton for that uh, right now as right. we see some things like GM Marketplace and, and other um, new systems that are kind of pitching content to, to users already jumping down the road. Right, right. Um, so what else at South By caught your eye? I thought one of the most interesting stories there was not necessarily in the conference halls, but out on the street. The proliferation of scooters was, uh, I've saw more scooters than I've ever seen anywhere else on the streets of downtown Austin. Uh, I talked with Lime, they said they had 5,000 deployed and that they saw a 50% increase in ridership during South by Southwest last week. And I know that other companies had similar numbers, I would imagine, though they haven't shared them right now. Uh, and yeah. it all came together to really show me the the promise and and peril of having scooters as a major mode of transportation. Yeah, I uh, noticed no one was wearing helmets. Nobody wearing at a helmet. All. Like zipping down the street in the middle of crazy traffic without a helmet. That seems dangerous enough, but uh, one of us got hit by one, right? And it was not you. It was not me. <laughs> it, was a, it was a low speed impact, uh, but it was on the sidewalk. And that really got me thinking. I saw so many scooters riding on the sidewalk, saw so many in traffic. Austin happens to have a really good system of protected bike lanes. So I saw some scooter users using those. But most people weren't. But most people were not. Uh, I saw people using parking lots to like do, you know, to be just be zipping as fast as they could and like do going <laughs> in circles. Yeah, it really got me thinking is on one hand, I see people using this as a great mode of transportation to kind of go six to eight blocks around the downtown area. And on the other, uh, brought the question to the forefront of where do these vehicles belong? And I don't know that our infrastructure has a great answer for that right now. Meanwhile, I walked six miles on the Wednesday because I ate so much queso at Torti's that I had to I had to walk back to my hotel. I was tempted by the scooter, but I was like, nope, I got to burn off these calories somehow. Let's move on. Let's, okay. Let's move on to um, the Navigant leaderboard. Um, you know, it's hard to tell from the outside sometimes who's doing it best with self-driving cars, but they have kind of pulled together a little bit of a study, and they, they who do they say is in the lead right now? Yeah, uh, so Navigant does this annual study on, on which self-driving companies are are leading, I don't want to say the race, but they really kind of look at the comprehensively their business strategy, their partnerships, uh, their technology altogether. So no surprise that Waymo and GM's cruise automation unit are, are one, two. I think that's been the same position for the last three years in the Navigant study. Uh, Ford autonomous vehicles right up there with, with those two leaders uh, trailing just behind. So I think in some respect, it's showing that the leaders have continued to stay at the forefront. Right. Any news on Uber or Apple or any of the smaller companies? Yeah, actually, uh, Apple ranked dead last of the 20 com companies that Navigant analyzed, which I think probably reflects the fact that we don't have a whole lot of information about what Apple is up to. Uh, so they've stayed pretty quiet about their efforts in California, though we know now from DMV reports that they have uh, 73 cars on the road at last count, and they drove more than 80,000 miles in 2018. Uh, so, you know, and I think Navigant's pretty uh, upfront about the fact that this is one way to look at these companies. And since they don't have a whole lot to go on on their go-to-market strategy, it's probably more indicative of why Apple is 20 than 
then we're not it's not suggesting that Apple has the worst technology on the road. So right. we have to be careful about how we how we look at and uh, interpret some of these findings. Does it really matter who's in the lead? Like what is ultimately? Is this I guess it maybe it does for businesses like who are you going to invest in and who are you going to partner with, but to my mind it, it I'm not sure that it matters necessarily who's who's at the forefront yet. Yeah, yes and no. I think that I think it does matter in terms of who's an attractive partner, like you just said, or who's an attractive company to invest in, like uh, GM's cruise automation, which keeps getting a lot of uh, billion-dollar investments, it seems like. So may- maybe this is one tool to uh, look at from the outside and say, yeah, that's the company I want to place my bet on. On the other hand, I think you're exactly right, that it's way too early to really think about who's going to have a widespread deployment first. Speaking of way too early, let's talk about this AAA study. Uh, this is my this is my um, one of the things that I absolutely hate that happens in in the self driving car sphere is these many many studies that come out that say consumers hate self driving cars. Consumers don't know if they like self driving cars because there aren't any for them to be in yet. Tell me, do you have the study in front of you? Tell me a little bit about what. What came out? Um, you know, I don't have it in front of me, but basically it's a similar finding to AAA study last year that um, roughly three quarters of Americans are afraid to ride in a fully self-driving car. Uh, there's a small uptick um, by a percentage point or two, but it's, it's about the same as where we were last year. And what I think is interesting about the AAA study is that they've been tracking this for a while. I think this is the third or fourth iteration. So we can start to see movement in and broader consumer thoughts about the cars. But I do agree with you that uh, it's too early to say, obviously, because there's no self-driving cars on the road. Well, look, I mean, I always go back to this analogy. Like when I first got a cell phone with a camera in it, I thought that was stupid. I, you know, I had a, a really nice camera that I used. I thought it was stupid that my phone had a camera. The pictures came out terrible. And I would have, if I had been asked at that point, do you think more cell phones need more cameras? I would have said, absolutely not, it's stupid. And now I, my cameras are collecting dust and I pick my phone based off of its camera quality and I never carry a camera around. I feel like it's not exactly the same, right? Because you're talking about people trusting something to take them on the road, but people, that don't, the vast majority of Americans have not been in these cars. They don't really know what we're talking about when we're talking about fully self-driving cars. You know, they don't, they don't get it. And I would, it will be interesting to see when the tipping point comes, like when more people say, um, I want to try this out. That will be a big story for me. But until then, I'm, I'm not really interested. Yeah, I think that that's spot on. Um, but to bring this full circle, uh, right back to Secretary Chow's remarks in Austin the other day. She was talking about how Silicon Valley needs to start those education efforts uh, because consumer acceptance is going to be a, a key factor eventually. So might as well start to get accurate information out now. In fact, I just pulled up her quote uh, and she said, consumer acceptance will be a restraint to growth, uh, which I thought was a, you know, kind of a strong remark in that respect. So you know, message to Silicon Valley, start thinking about how you accurately describe these cars to consumers today. Right, right. Yeah, it would help if we didn't have some automakers out there claiming that their technology was already fully 
self-driving when it's not <coughs> one <laughs> tesla <laughs> yeah it would help if they didn't call it autopilot and you know say that people are going to be able to sleep on their trip from san francisco san francisco to la that would help. They're starting next year. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, because the more people who get hurt in those kinds of incidences, the more people are going to get scared when it's not, they're just mismarketing. Yeah, I think that's going to be a real challenge for the rest of the industry to deal with is how Tesla is way, um, way out front on its language and how it describes these cars. But that might be a, a podcast for another day. Right, right. We'll hear from Jim Adler right after this break. As a listener of Shift, you know that staying ahead of today's quickly evolving auto industry takes more than opinions, it takes science. Urban Science uses proprietary data and analytics to shine a light on what matters most, performance. Which models are selling today and which will be selling tomorrow? Where in-market customers are physically and how to connect to them digitally? And how to get a true picture of your four key sales drivers, inventory, traffic, salespeople, and your value proposition. Because when you make decisions based on better data, every move has a bigger impact on your dealership network, on your market, and on your future. So, whether you're looking to position your dealership network for the future, or identify who you're losing sales to, trust the company that's been at the forefront of the industry's scientific revolution for 43 years and counting. To learn more about how urban science is guiding business through science, visit urbanscience.com autonews. So Pete and I are down at South by Southwest this week, and we are chatting on the phone with Jim Adler, who is Managing Director of Toyota AI Ventures. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Pete. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be part of the show. Yeah, well, you were one of our last guests when the podcast was Futurismo, so uh, you did really well last time, and we wanted to come back and pick your brain about more stuff. Oh, so I have to do better than I did last time. Uh, that, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I'm sure you can live up to it. <laughs> I will do my best. Let's kick this off maybe by by talking about how the Toyota AI venture has has evolved over the last year or so. What's new and, and how have things changed maybe from the start to now? Yeah, good question. Uh, so we are Toyota's first standalone corporate venture capital fund. And you're right that we were established uh, in July 2017. We're in Silicon Valley, Valley, but we invest globally, and we're really explorers uh, working to find out what's next for Toyota by helping early stage startups bring their disruptive innovations and technologies uh, uh, to market quickly. And we are focused, as our name says, on artificial intelligence, uh, which includes data and cloud as applied to autonomous mobility and robotics. We've done 19 deals since our founding, uh, so we're moving pretty quickly. Uh, uh, everything from uh, kind of consumer-oriented robots to uh, air taxis uh, to uh, base-level technologies uh, uh, around AI data cloud to key components of the perception stack uh, uh, that we can talk about that really powering the uh, autonomy that we're seeing move into the marketplace. Wow, 19 companies, that's a lot. Yeah, um, uh, it's been a great, great journey so far. And we've just discovered some amazing companies. I think we've seen 1,400 companies 
uh, in our tenure thus far. So we, we do say no a lot, uh, but uh, we are really looking for really the, the best entrepreneurs that are driving this era of mobility that we think is, is, is so vital to uh, certainly the next era of the automotive industry, but we think is, is in influencing high tech as well. So we see this sort of confluence of, of automotive and high tech in, in this uh, mobility layer that's getting built. And uh, a lot of the startups in our portfolio and that are uh, coming to market in the industry are, are really forging uh, that fusion of, of automotive and, and high tech into mobility. And that's kind of fascinating because uh, as you well know, uh, for a long time, there was this competitive spirit between Silicon Valley and Detroit, uh, if that's one way to put it. But what really I, th I think has emerged in the last few years is that it's much more of a collaboration, uh, you know, getting self-driving technology and, and AI infused in transportation kind of up and running. Uh, in that sense, I wanted to ask you about one of your companies, which is May Mobility. Uh, what did you see in, in that particular company that made them uh, appealing early investments? Yeah, I mean, what we always look for, because we're a venture capital fund, uh, there is, of course, strategic return that Toyota's looking for. Why is this good for Toyota? Which I think the, 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 our thesis inform, is informed by our strategic interest. But what's also important is our uh, financial goals. And we are, in, we are structured as a very similar to a financial venture capital fund, institutional venture capital fund. And so we really do look for companies that can be strong in the marketplace. And sure, May Mobility had great tech uh, and, have, and really productized that technology incredibly quickly. But they also had a business model uh, and they had a way to sell to customers. I mean, they're, to my knowledge, they're really the only company that has a real product selling to real customers right now. Uh, they are uh, running their autonomous shuttles in two markets. There'll be two more soon, two more cities soon. Uh, they've done, and in January they announced that they already did 30,000 rides in Detroit alone. So what, that's what we love to see, really deep tech and a way to really get off of investor dollars as quickly as possible, especially pre-revenue investor dollars. Uh, uh, I, I, I was an entrepreneur a lot of my career, and uh, it, it's so important uh, to chart your own destiny by solving real problems for real customers that pay real dollars. And that's a business. And we recognize that any strategic return that Toyota will get will be preceded by strong financial performance. And we see uh, companies like May uh, starting down that path, finding the product market fit, charging real uh, customers uh, real money, and having a sustainable business based on that. So that seems a lot different from what we've heard about Silicon Valley's um, investment approach. It seems like um, a lot of venture capitalists are willing to invest in companies that are more of, more of a science experiment um, and are not necessarily looking for revenue in the short term. Um, why is that different? Am I right in that assessment, first of all? And, and why is that different for you guys? And I, I don't think it's all that different. Uh, I think every, 
I don't think venture capital firms generally invest in, or they will, I don't think they purposefully invest in science experiments. Mm-hmm. I think what they, they want deep technology that, uh, ha- that has the potential for uh, a, a competitive moat around the business uh, when that business emerges. I think you can try to get to market too quickly before uh, the, the product is ready for the market. Uh, uh, but I do feel like if the opportunity for the company is not clearly articulated early enough, uh, the company can learn only to raise money from investors. They, they, that becomes a core competency of the company. I want to see companies, we want to see companies that uh, learn how to satisfy market demands by customers, not demands of investors. Uh, domestic, investors are not customers. Even though we, we both give these companies money, uh, an investor's money is not real money. Uh, it's not sustainable. Uh, and it's really a uh, uh, resource in order to find your way into uh, the market, into satisfying uh, customer needs. And I think that needs to be front and center of, of any founding team strategy from the time they're founded. It might be a little far off. You know, they would say, hey, the first couple of years, we are going to focus on developing the technology and the product. Intuition Robotics was that way. They spent three years uh, uh, in uh, development, uh, doing alpha and beta testing with real customers, though. Uh, but they just announced that they are uh, in pre-order now and will be shipping in the summer. So it, it, just because it takes them a long time to get to market doesn't mean they're a science experiment. Jim, in that sense, do you, when you're looking at a company, do you look at not only the company, but who the other investors are? And does that influence, you know, as you said, sometimes the, the goals are, are, are different in, you know, investor A, B, or C might want to push harder before a, a company is really ready to go to the market. So how much does, does some, some of who the other investors are play into your decision making? Uh, it, it's huge, actually, Pete. Uh, the, the, the partners that you have around the table, uh, both the co-investors and the, the, the founding team, uh, are, are, we're all in this together. We're all in this lifeboat uh, together. And that's why uh, uh, alignment is so important and, and philosophy is important. We are very founder friendly. Uh, we, run on, we run on their uh, schedule, not our schedule. Uh, we expect uh, our co-investors to respect the, uh, the vision and uh, uh, the strategy and execution of the team. Uh, we don't necessarily like uh, corporate investors that try to extract strategic value too early. Uh, in my career, I, when I was on the other side of the table, I had taken corporate money and some corporate investors were great and some were terrible. And what I learned was that the ones that were terrible tried to extract strategic value too early before the startup was ready. And, uh, it became much more, much more transactional. And, uh, uh, I think, uh, it doesn't really advance the financial uh, strength of the company. 
So we look for co-investors that are uh, kind of aligned with what's important for the company to, again, satisfy customers in the marketplace today. And if they're only out for their own strategic uh, benefits too early, I think uh, we prefer to have other investors at the table. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, one of the other things we wanted to hit on, you know, one of the focuses of Shift is to kind of bridge this this gap or or just be a bridge between Silicon Valley and the auto industry. Um, you know, you you play on both sides of this. How do the how do the two cultures um, compare? And you know, is there anything that either side could be doing better to make the relationships work better? Well, I think we're learning from each other. Uh, uh, I, I bring a, 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 a certainly more of a Silicon Valley DNA uh, to Toyota, uh, and, uh, but automakers actually bring an incredible wealth of history and knowledge in how to build safe, reliable, maintainable vehicles at scale. Uh, of course, their clock speed is, the automotive industry's clock speed is slower than uh, the technology industry's clock speed. Uh, and so automotive is certainly learning from high tech uh, and high tech is learning from automotive. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, so I think it's not necessarily that we need to learn uh, or that, we, that we're competing or, or that uh, uh, we're, it, there's discord here. Uh, I think that we, we, there's different cultural heritage that each of us uh, emerge from and we need to figure out hey which which side is good at what uh, and I think many companies are learning how difficult uh, automobiles are to make uh, and uh, automotive companies are, are learning uh, how uh, difficult it is to uh, have this data software culture that can be agile and yet reliable uh, uh, and innovate uh, for customers. And I think this is, it's in a great time to be in this industry because you see both sides kind of figuring it out, not just in the technology arena, but also in how we package that technology and products, uh, how we do business development, how we do investments. And I think you see this uh, great convergence happening between the auto industry and the technology industry, the high tech industry, the software industry uh, on, on what uh, strengths each are bringing to, to the party. Uh, and we get to see that every day. I mean, the, the startups are, some of them have more automotive DNA, some of them have uh, more high tech DNA. If you look at May Mobility, just to bring that back to your question, Pete, uh, one, uh, Allison Malik on the executive team comes from GM. She has automotive DNA. Uh, Ed Olson, the, the, the CEO, has uh, high-tech DNA, DNA, comes from, uh, from the autonomy world. So I think we see uh, this convergence, which is exciting to watch, and everyone's running this experiment, and uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to see how it turns out. Jim, you mentioned earlier, I think, that you've made 19 investments but looked at, was it 1,400 companies, you said, or some astronomical right, yeah. number like that? Yeah, right. um, 
how do you, you know, what's your, pro I'm interested in your process. Like when you look at a, maybe a competitive area of this, let's, let's say LIDAR for one example, where there's, there's dozens and dozens of LIDAR companies out there. What's your process for, for assessing uh, companies that you're looking at in terms of who's technical, who's ahead on the, on the technical side before you kind of get to the, you know, you know, aside from the founding team and, and some of those other kind of key factors. But when you're assessing a, a new technology like that, how do you sift through? Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a great question and, and one that we continue to refine. Uh, uh, first of all, it, it's, it's important to understand, you, you sort of jump to, okay, take LiDAR. Well, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, uh, is perception in LiDAR an important place to even uh, invest? And so we, the first thing we, we do uh, is uh, look, at the, look at the space, look at the market and see if it's worth investing in. Uh, if you look at the autonomy stack of perception, prediction and planning, uh, it's pretty well understood that, that LIDAR, at least in the near term and midterm, is, a, is really an important technology. Uh, then, you, then you start to say, okay, who, where is the expertise in the area? Where is the competitive barrier? Uh, in, in the industry. And so we were looking at LiDAR uh, investment for quite a while. And uh, we really found that the, the frequency modulated continuous wave LiDAR that uh, the Blackmore folks were uh, innovating around was really interesting because you get position and velocity uh, uh, where most LiDARs only give you position. So we thought that was really interesting uh, and could be competitive, uh, a competitive barrier uh, in the market going forward. And so certainly the technology kind of bubbled up. Uh, uh, then, then you look at, okay, the company's got great expertise. Uh, it's, a, it's a great team. Uh, they work well together. They, can, they know how to execute. And uh, then you look at uh, uh, the opportunity, uh, uh, the investment opportunity, and, and you make a call based on that. Uh, a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, almost all the time, <laughs> uh, companies kind of fall out of, of that winnowing process. Uh, either wrong market, uh, the technology is not deep enough, it's, it's too uh, 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 analogous to others, the team uh, doesn't have the right mix to, to execute and succeed. Uh, uh, it's important that uh, uh, high integrity exists within, uh, within the team uh, this is a, a long journey, uh, and for us, an investment is not a transaction. It's the begin beginning of a relationship, and we really uh, bond with our teams, and we want to help them along this journey, and integrity is really important because, as, as Mike Tyson said, uh, uh, no fight plan uh, survived the first punch in the mouth, and, and no business plan uh, ever survived the first contact with the customer, as uh, Steve Blank once said. Uh, and so we know that things are going to change. Things are going to pivot. Uh, it, it, startups are hard and they're difficult, and teams need to have that uh, important mi mix of, of confidence and humility uh, in order to navigate the pivots that they will undoubtedly have to endure. Uh, as they bring their product to market and achieve the enterprise success that that we are all uh, rooting for them. Well, I like that. I like that, Jim. You you uh, you use that punch in the face uh, 
analogy in the last time. So it's a nice, we've come full circle. Well, yeah, I don't. I, I, you know, you take your wisdom wherever you can get it. Exactly. I, I repeat myself all the time. That's right. Well, I mean, it, it, these are the kinds of things that, that are, it's so important because markets pummel these companies really hard. Uh, and if they can get back up uh, and fight another day, those are the ones that are successful. And, and those are the ones that we want to invest in. All right. Well, last question. We're going to ask you know some form of this question to um, everybody we inter interview. But um, in your case, since you're an investor, I, I really would love to know like what what tech or company is out there right now that you didn't get a chance to invest in, but you're really like ah, I wish I I wish that was mine. <laughs> Who who's doing it in a way that makes you a little envious? Well, last time I I, uh, I was asked this question. Uh, I was on, I think it was a, a uh, an investor event, and it, and it was uh, uh, about prediction. And that there was a company called uh, Perceptive Automata that I thought was doing amazing prediction, great prediction technology. And we chased those, that one down, and we invested in it. So I don't, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like uh, you know, every time I ask this, but maybe this is a, an omen. Every time I mention a company that uh, that we missed, uh, it would be uh, it'd be one that we we get later. Uh, but I think there's a lot going on in micromobility that uh, whether it be uh, scooters or mopeds or small form vehicles that uh, that I think is really interesting. And uh, of course, you know, the, the scooter craze has kind of developed over the last 18 months or 24 months and we didn't make an investment there. And so for a while I was thinking, ah, we missed that. Uh, and it would have been great to get into the micromobility space, but I don't, I, I'm reevaluating that. I really, we really don't think that we missed it. I think that was version 1.0. Uh, right. There's going to be other form factors and, and, and other business models uh, that we'll be able to uh, get in on uh, in the future. Because I do feel that whether it's air mobility uh, in the case of say our Joby investment, so things will move to the air. But I also think that the, the worst, the worst part about ground transportation and congestion in ground transportation is the deadhead rider, right? The, the, the car that has empty seats. Mm -hmm. And there's been so many approaches to that. And, and scooters have taken, uh, have, have addressed that. Uh, uh, there's no deadheads on a scooter. Uh, but I, I think that there's real challenges with that model, right? With respect to weather and, and infrastructure and, and, and those sorts of challenges. Safety. So, safety, yes, definitely safety. Uh, thank you. And I so, just got uh, struck by a scooter down here in Austin. So uh, you're, you're speaking uh, my language right now, Jim. Yeah, yeah, right. So, so we, we know, but we do know that uh, in order to relieve congestion, there needs to be a solution there. And uh, so I, 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 I'm, I know that there's some great innovations happening in micromobility, and uh, uh, although we missed the first wave, uh, uh, I think the next wave is, is coming. And we know that uh, uh, the mobility layer that we we'll, that we are building, uh, that this industry is building, uh, will figure this one out. And and that's the kind of uh, uh, model uh, that will likely have an autonomy layer. Uh, will have certainly a connected layer. Uh, could emerge to sort of dominate the space. And that, that's the kind of uh, deal we're looking, looking toward. 
Well, Jim, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, we're we're watching your career and your investments pretty closely. So um, keep us keep keep us in mind if you've got any big news. Uh, we definitely will. Thanks so much for inviting me. This has uh, been a pleasure, just like last time. I, I look forward to doing it again. That was Jim Adler, Managing Director of Toyota's AI Ventures. Uh, terrific to hear from him and about uh, what Toyota looks for when it's investing in some of these new mobility companies. So that's a wrap on our first podcast for Shift. This was good, Sharon. Yeah, it was great. So look forward to doing it again in two weeks. Excellent. Talk to you then. All right, bye.